0: It is such an honor to get to um, to talk to you guys and to get to address you. I, some people in first service thought that I'm leaving, like this is my last Sunday, so I just wanna remind you, I'm actually not leaving till May 11th. Um, but this is my chance to get to give back a little bit to hopefully speak some life into the very people who have been speaking into my life for the last 10 years. So. Um, so we're going to go at it. Now, I was given quite the job. I was told that I'm supposed to share my story and also answer all of the questions that were dropped in a bucket last week. And that is just really difficult to do. So I want to just give kind of a little general apology off the top. This is not a smooth three-point sermon where you can take nice little pretty notes. So in an effort to um, to help so that it If you leave here going, what in the world did she just say? There was no tie through that at all. Um, I'm gonna make the PowerPoint available, so you'll actually get to see the things that I wanted to stick. Um, You'll be able to call that up, look at it, um, just in case, all right? Um, So I thought I would start by just answering some of the questions. Now there were 35 plus questions. And some of them I... I'm using the Socratic method to, to, to answer, which the Socratic method is to answer a question with a question. The truth is I do not have time in 30 minutes, which may might speak longer than that anyway, but I don't have time in, in this period to, um, to answer these questions well and to give them what they really need, the honor that they need. So I'll let you and God talk about these. Are we all God's children yes. is the question. My answer is... Does the creator automatically become the parent of what he or she has created? The second question, have you ever told an LGBTQ person that they should change their lifestyle? My response, what's the difference between preaching the gospel and trusting the Holy Spirit to convict and wise counsel? Third question, how do you reconcile with someone? My answer, what is it that's keeping you from reconciliation? And there are a couple passages in there because the Bible does talk very specifically about steps to take towards reconciliation. And the last question, maybe not quite the last. How, why are men and women different in terms of leadership? Really, people? (laughs) One Sunday. Um, So I just asked, are they different? Does this vary from culture to culture? So um, those are some of my Socratic questions. Then I took a bunch of questions and grouped them into one clump. So I'm not really answering them individually well at all, but I am going to answer them with a scripture and with just some wisdom that I've gained over the years. So these are the questions that I clumped together. The first one is my transitional question. Is it wrong to work seven days a week if you consider work a ministry? And my question back to you is why are you doing it? Do you trust that God will provide both for you and for those benefiting from your ministry during your time off? Do you believe that God could do his work even if you took a day off or an hour off? Um, How do you love a child in disobedience and encourage them to turn around? What is the most important aspect of your state of mind when working through friends' problems or counseling? What is some great advice about mental health? That one couldn't be much more open. Um, What is the best way to love those who've gone through a lot of trauma? How can individuals love people well so that our collective community becomes an even safer place for those who are healing from trauma. So we'll consider this sermonette number one. And for sermonette number one, here's the scripture that we have. It is out of, or no, this one's not out of Proverbs. I'm sorry. It's out of Timothy. So Timothy is a book that I just devoured as a teenager because I knew that this was a book that Paul wrote to Timothy and that Timothy was a young man. And I figured, well, then this must have important stuff, stuff that I could, could digest. And These are both out of Timothy. Now, I'm not, I didn't go back and do my research. I just didn't have enough time. I'm not 100% sure if Paul was actually writing this letter from prison or if he was writing it from between prison stays. But the point is, Paul was imprisoned a lot for doing what he did. And he wrote, this is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Sometimes I think we take on ourselves the ability to love others well or the ability to solve the problems or others or to take care of others and we forget That the God that we trust is able to keep what we have entrusted to him, whether that is ourselves, a project, someone that we love, a ministry thing that we're doing. We can trust that we know who we believe and we are convinced, if we are convinced that he is able to guard then we have freedom. We have freedom to take a day off when we need it. We have freedom to to breathe and to love without all of the fear that comes with love because sometimes we're trying to figure out how to love people the right way and we just get all tied up in fear. And then in chapter two and verse nine, he says, for which I'm suffering, again, the gospel, right? Even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained, So even at those times when by choice because we choose to rest or by design because circumstances will not allow us whether we're imprisoned or unable to get there or separated by miles from the people that we're we're thinking of, praying for, crying out for, God's word is not chained. There is no limitation on what God's word can do. It is not limited by our circumstance, by our state of mind, by how much sleep we've had. God's word is not limited, it is not chained like our circumstances are. So that's my scriptural answer to those questions about counseling and mental health. Remember that you're not doing it alone. What What is my general, what is good mental health? Don't try and do it without God. Know that you've got an advocate, someone walking with you and fighting with you, right? And then just kind of my own personal, um, I guess you could call them words of wisdom. Things that I've learned throughout the years that I think are important, um, and those are the first one is my job. My job is to love you. My job is not to fix you, and most of the time, my job is not to diagnose you. My job is to love you, and and that's true for all of us. We don't have to understand or fix everyone around us. We can't. We're human. We're finite. Um, Learn to listen and listen to learn. Often, we, we naturally are drawn towards the things that are similar, right? If I'm having a conversation with you, Nalani, and I'm hearing your story, I'm gonna instantly click with the things that are similar, that I relate to. But the real challenge, if I'm gonna listen well, The real challenge is for me to seek out the differences. What is it that makes you different than me? Because that is where ministry and true counsel begins, is in being able to see and speak to the parts of the person that are different than the parts of me, because otherwise I'm just giving them the advice I would give myself, or I'm just listening with my own ears. I'm not actually hearing what makes them special and unique because each and every person has the mark of God on them, right, the Imago Dei. And it's our job to see that in each other, to look at one another and see what makes us different, not just what makes us the same. So we want to, to notice the, dif- the similarities and the differences, and then we wanna be a safe person. And the best way to become a safe person, it really is consistency. It's doing what you say you're gonna do. It's showing up when you say you're gonna show up. It's You'll notice I put promise less and deliver more, right? Sometimes our hearts are just really moved by someone's story or by a situation, and we promise them the world, and we in no way can deliver the world. So if we step back and we promise less, right? Don't tell them everything that you can do for them. Bless them, love them, promise very little, and then deliver. Then you're able to go above and beyond, right? And so when you're dealing with someone who has had, um, who's had trauma, who's been abused by the system or by a person, who is, is struggling with just defeat and oppression, every single promise you break is just going to feel like you have just confirmed everything that I've already started to believe about myself in the world, right? So make less promises and deliver. Deliver well what you say that you'll do and then allow to flow from the overabundance. Because let me tell you, sometimes I think I know what I can promise and give to someone and if I hold back and I don't necessarily speak it, you would be amazed at what just flows out of the wellspring of life. It may not be what I thought that I had to give the, fir- the person in the first place. There is something that if I'm in communion with God and if I'm really seeking in, in scripture and in worship, things will flow out of me that I might not have been able to predict in the first place. So we wanna promise less, deliver more. We wanna be a companion and not a voyeur, okay? We, we don't want to listen to someone's stories for the goosebumps that we get for the chicken skin. Oh, that's a good story. Right? We don't want to be horrified at what goes on. We don't want to be the peeping Tom into someone's life. We want to walk next to someone with their life. For their life. We want to partner with people. Not just watch. We're not watching for their entertainment. Yes, we're in it for the stories because stories build faith. But we're also walking with one another. Empower, don't rescue, right? Now, if someone is in an abusive situation, there is a time when you swoop in, you rescue them, you pull them out of that situation. But once that is done, our tendency is sometimes to keep on rescuing and rescuing and rescuing. No, if someone has been through trauma, someone has taken power away from them. And our job is to give power back to them, to remind them that they are capable of making choices, to remind them that there are things in their life that they can control, and to help them learn how to control those things and take power over those things. Our, our goal is that one day, they won't need our authority at all, right? They will not need our power because they will have been empowered and they will then begin raising other people up themselves. Um, And then don't be overwhelmed by their story. Sonia was so nice with her words when she introduced me, but it—it's not helpful if, um, you know, if Dan starts to tell me his story and I just start weeping uncontrollably and I just can't handle. Right? All of a sudden, Dan is like, "Oh, I'm sorry. This isn't my. Now it's time for me to help you, because you clearly can't handle my story. So now I need to minister to you because this was all too much for you. Right?" I'm taking the attention back to myself if I, if I over-respond. I wanna be able to listen to your story, to walk with your story without being freaked out by your story, okay? Um, so that's little sermonette number one from Timothy, okay? And we're gonna keep moving on, because time does fly. Um, the next one, um, this is a question, my, kind of my short answer questions, so um, just in short. Is there something about poverty that drew you to Kentucky? This one made me laugh. Those of you who know anything about Lexington, Kentucky, know that it is not a place of poverty. Um, It is actually one of the wealthiest um, areas in the world. It's bluegrass country, raising multi-million dollar thoroughbred horses, um, none of which I will be doing, but um, no, I'm not going to Kentucky because of the poverty. Um, But my answer is poverty is everywhere. I will probably not be in Lexington for more than a week or two before I begin to see signs of poverty and oppression because that is the world that we live in. It is everywhere. I don't have to go somewhere special to find poverty. It's, it's everywhere. Do I find joy in my singleness? Well, there's a question. Um, it depends on the day. It depends on the day. And as you'll notice, and my client load. um, There are times when I see couples that are in a really bad place and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that I am single. I get to go home to myself tonight. Um, And there are other times, of course, when being single, it is lonely and it is hard. And, you know, I do seek out a, a ministry partner. That's my friends. My close friends tease me. They're like, Jeannie, I don't know if you want a husband as much as you do a ministry partner. Um. But, of course, there are those places and there are those things that we as single people want. We want partnership. We want someone to walk the journey with. But I also have to say that some of the ministry I've done, some of the places I've traveled, some of the split-second decisions that I've made where I haven't had to consult anyone else, I haven't had to wait for them to catch up with me or I'm trying to catch up with them, I've just been able to move on the spur of the moment. That has been really nice. And I really appreciate that part of my singleness. Um, I like being able to move on a dime. I like being able to make a quick decision and to do what I feel like God's telling me to do in a moment's notice. Um, So God help the poor man if I ever do get married. Um, (laughs) How do I help someone that does not want to be helped? Short answer, what do they want to be a customer for? So they're not a customer for what you're selling. I would like you to get help and here's how I would like to get you for you to get help. This is what I would like to change in your life. Well, they may not be at that place. They may not feel like that's a problem. They, you know, th- that's not what they're looking for. So find out what they are looking for. What is it that they're a customer for? What is it that they're wanting? People will come in, uh, not very often, most of my clients are come because they wanna come and I love that. But I've had a few who've come in because so-and-so told me that I needed to be here. That's why I'm here. So-and-so told me I need to be here and so. and. So then I'm like, well, you know what? We're stuck here because you're not gonna lie to so-and-so and tell them you didn't come to therapy. So since you are in my office anyway, let's talk about what you would like. What is it that you feel like needs to be changed and adjusted in your life, or what are the goals that you have? And I found that when we start with where people are, there's faith and trust that starts to build. And then hope starts to come. And then safety starts to come. And as soon as they start to feel safe, because can we just be honest for a minute here? Most of the time when we don't want to address the issues that everyone else sees in us, it's because we're so stinking full of shame that we feel like we'll just melt into the floor and disappear or explode if we actually address those issues straight on, right? So if we can build a safe place and if we can establish hope in the little things that aren't too scary to address, well, then there's, there's a foundation that's laid for the bigger issues that, that really do need to be spoken into for some, some more major life change. So whatever people are a customer for, that's what, that's what we wanna go for. Um, and then there was this question. Huh, you guys had some doozies. How do you discern the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom in terms of encouraging giant leaps of faith? Which is better, wisdom or faith? thank you for that question. Um, Honestly, I don't think that they're in disagreement. I don't think those two battle. I think that true wisdom will not interfere with your faith because obedience to God is the highest form of wisdom. And repeatedly in Proverbs, I quoted Proverbs 9-10, but at least four times in Proverbs and also in the book of Psalms, we hear things like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the life of wisdom, right? These things are repeated throughout Proverbs and Psalms, and they're hinted at in other places of the Bible. And so what I would say is wisdom actually, true wisdom comes out of a place of worship. When we are able to lower ourselves and just get in that place with God, that is when we peek into the larger realms of things that we do not understand, where we begin to see what Bigger things, further than what our human eyes can see, and that's where wisdom comes. Right? There's um, Proverbs chapter two, verses one through five, and I'll read those for you, um, but they'll also be up here. My son, if you accept my words, now this is scripture, so so it's got a double meaning, right? Solomon is saying, if you accept my words to his children, but we're also reflecting a picture of God saying if you accept my words, so if we accept scripture, right? My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So notice I underlined those things, right? we're going to accept God's words. This isn't just reading the Bible so we can check it off our daily checklist for, the, for those who even do that, right? This is accepting. This is choosing to believe that what scripture says is true. Whether I understand it or not, whether I feel it or not, what I read in scripture is truth. It will breathe life into me. Can I accept what God says in scripture? And then am I with it enough that it's getting stored up inside of me? Am I actually practicing scripture? Am I meditating on it? I have a couple of scriptures that I keep on the mirror in my bathroom. Like, what are the things that we are consistently filling our mind with? Are we storing up the commands of God? Are we storing up the truth of God inside of us so that we have a wellspring to come up? Turning our ear to wisdom, calling out for insight, right? This is not like, oh, if anybody has some um, insight for me, God, if you've got any insight, just let me know, okay? We're chill, this is, this is good. No, this is Solomon, a Hebrew man crying out. If I didn't have a microphone so close to my face, I would give you an example of crying out, but I don't want to do that to any of you with the speakers. But this is crying out for insight, right? This is breaking your heart, tearing your heart out, crying for insight. God, I'm desperate. I'm hungry. I must have your insight into this situation. We call out. It is a hidden treasure. Do we really believe that what God has to say in our life, do we really believe that it's treasure? Or is it just another humbug thing that we have to do on our list because we're good Christian people? Do we actually expect that we're going to find treasure when God speaks? Or is it just something we do because Jordan's prophetic and therefore we hear from God in this church and that's just what we do, right? There is, there, do we believe that it's hidden treasure? That's how we find wisdom. We seek it out. We trust what scripture says. We store scripture within us so that when we hear the word of God, we recognize his voice. Right? If I know scripture, if I know the character of God, if I know he who I have believed in, then when I hear his voice in prophetic words, in comforting words, in everyday conversation, I know it because it's so familiar. That's the character of the God I know. That's the one that's, I know that voice. I know those words. Right? So we store it up within us. All we right. going to take a breath. That was sermon two. <laughs> All right. One of the questions that I got asked me what my favorite Bible verse is. And again, I laughed because I could give you a 365-day devotional with my favorite Bible verses. I love scripture if you haven't figured this out already. I love scripture. So what I've done instead of listing out all of my favorite Bible verses because I got to tell you um this is my Bible. <laughs> And I so don't want to throw it away. Like I just had to throw a Bible away not too long ago because it's just literally falling apart. Like it's not even fully scripture anymore because chunks are missing. Um, and, but I was so attached to, cause I write in my Bible. Like if you were to look through here, you'd find dates, you'd find names, you'd find probably not your name. Um, but you know, it's, it's there. And so I, had, I actually took my Bible and tore out all of the pages that I'd written on so that I could keep those even though my Bible was falling apart because I was like, no, this is when God talked to me. This is, I remember this day. I remember I remember him doing his thing. So I, this, this scares me. Um, so I love the Word of God, but my calling scriptures, those that I've said, these are scriptures that have defined my life calling. The first one, interestingly enough, was um, James 1.5. Katie used it with um, one of her prophetic paintings last week, and it fits really well with this sermon series. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This was, this was Sunday school, so this was preteen. Um, I was a child when this first caught my eye, and I was like, that's what I want. I was a strange child. Um, But I'm like, that's what I want, because Solomon asked for wisdom. I'm sure that this had all been a Bible story that they had done in Sunday school. Solomon asked for wisdom, and then God gave him everything. And so, if I ask for wisdom, God's gonna give me everything. And in James, it says that we can. Like, not only certain people can ask for wisdom, but everybody can ask for wisdom. So that's what I'm gonna do. So, as kind of a cocky little girl. I was like, yes, I'm gonna ask for wisdom and then God will give me everything that I need, very naive, innocent. But, um, but that was my first life scripture, is if I ask for wisdom, God will give it to me. The second one um, came as a teenager when I was 15 years old, um, was the first time that I like kind of, I guess preached, I had an eight minute sermon that I did for um, Iowa district camp meeting on youth day. And this was the sermon that I preached on. It became my life verse for many, many years. Um, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Um, as I've indicated, I was a sassy little girl and a sassy, I'm probably still a sassy adult, um, <laughs> if, if we're just going to be honest. Um, and there were people older and wiser than I was. I, you know, Especially when I would go to camp meeting, I would get to, to be with these people that I just, they had so much of God inside of them and it was very exciting to hear them talk and to hear their testimony. Um, but I knew that I could do this. I could, I could live with love. I could let my faith and how I acted and my choice to stay pure, I could do that even if I didn't have maturity, even if I didn't have all of the years of experience and walking, I could do those things, right? So this became, um, this became my scripture for a number of years. And then we go to college. And um, the next one, there's, I'm jumping the timeline a little bit. This is my college verse, but in high school, um, I had a, a friend who went to a little Pentecostal church And we would go, and we loved to sing. We were in um, show choir together and stuff like that. And so we would go up and use her church's sound system and sing, and then we'd go into the basement and pray. And two out of the only three what we'd call open visions that I've ever had in my life happened when I was a teenager in the basement of that little Pentecostal church. And um, one of them was a scene that I won't describe because it's a little bit graphic. Um, And... It was just, it was darkness, just, it was a dark scene, people doing dark things, and um, all of a sudden, the roof, it was like the roof was just peeled back, and the light of God shone in, and everything stopped, and I heard this booming voice, I was sure it was the voice of God, that said, "Um, one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the room just filled with just holy light and everyone just fell and began worshiping God and the entire scene shifted. Um, And I tell you that to share my next life verse, rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. There is, um, there's a tendency that we can have sometimes to, um, to condemn those that are, are doing evil deeds, that are doing things in the darkness. And especially in high school, I was, yes, black, white, right, wrong. You do what's right. It is a very clear line. There is no gray. a very, <laughs> right? Um, and thankfully, God has smoothed some edges. Um, but that was a lesson that I need to learn, that I was not to stand in condemnation to those being led away into death. I was to fight for them. I was to rescue them. And a, a picture that I've, I've held onto since that day is this picture of walking up to the edge of hell and grabbing onto someone's feet and pulling them out. That's what I want to do. And I love the church and I love ministering to the church and so much of my life is dedicated to helping activate those who are already believers. But every once in a while, I really need to go to hell and grab someone's feet and pull them back in. It's like a compulsion, right? I just, every once in a while, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go because somebody's dying and the world is condemning them and nobody is just grabbing a hold of them and bringing them into redemption and into life. So that was one of my life verses. Um, And then as I traveled towards the counseling realm, we have um, this one. I had a little question mark by it in my Bible saying, is this my calling? Right before um, Sozo ministry started. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. It's pretty self-explanatory. And the other one that I didn't read in first service um, is Isaiah 61, and that has just been such a life verse for me, just forever. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year the, the year of the lord 's favor i mean who doesn 't want to proclaim the year of the lord 's favor right. The day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Let me tell you something. Part of the reason that I'm going to Kentucky, I don't know much about why I'm going to Kentucky yet, but I know that I've been applying for jobs at community colleges because I want to see generations changed. I want to start speaking into some younger generations, and I want to see family line curses being broken. I want to see family line habits being broken. I want to see that army that we were talking about that rises up and breaks change. I want to be part of raising that army up, and so um, so pray for me Friday morning. I have an interview. Okay, but yes, this is, this is it. Like this just, oh my goodness. You can just read this, shout and go home. Yeah. Like this is just awesome, right? <sighs> so have you guessed that I like scripture? <laughs> Sometimes I do read scripture for, in, for information. I've, you know, I've been to Bible college and seminary and I've had to take those classes. But really, I like to read scripture because it breathes life into me and it reminds me of what truth is. Because when I look around at the world, there's a whole lot of oppression and depression and everything else um, that's very readily available to me. Um, I've learned a lot at Blue Water about grace and love and acceptance. Blue Water has been so pivotal for me. But there's another side that I desperately need reminding of on a daily basis. And I've actually asked some people to help me. We're going to do um, just a presentation of the book of Habakkuk. It's a highly edited version of the book of Habakkuk. He, um, the prophet is very um, metaphorical and poetic, and we cut out a lot of that. So go back and read it in Scripture if you want all of that. Um, <laughs> scripture is part of my story, and what you're about to experience is a dramatic interpretation of the book of Habakkuk. In this, in this book, Habakkuk is crying out against the injustice that he sees in his day. And then he learns that God is gonna address this injustice by bringing in the Babylonians, the most evil nation that the world knew at that time, to oppress the nation. And Habakkuk was broken. And he cried out and he interceded. It is um, a true story of the nation of Babylon invading Israel. Um, but it's also a a story that bypasses time. In the Bible, Babylonia represents a culture of evil and rebellion, oppression, and overabundance. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. And I gotta tell you that on any given day, I see Babylon. I see it in the form of women who've been abused and sometimes trafficked. I see it in sickness, in death, in poverty and oppression. And I need that constant reminder that I serve a God who is bigger than Babylon. How How long, long,
1: Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save?
2: Why do you make me look at this injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? destruction and violence are before me.
3: There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails.
4: Look at the nations and watch, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law unto themselves and promote their own honor. Guilty people whose strength is their God.
3: Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die.
1: You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment? You, my rock, have ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous?
2: Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than
3: themselves? What's God going to say to my questions? I'm braced for the worst. I'll wait to see what God says, how he'll answer my complaint.
4: Write this, write what you see. It aches for the coming, and it does not lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It is on its way. It will come right on time. The righteous man will live loyal and steady, believing he is fully alive. But look at that man, bloated by self-importance, full of himself, but his soul is empty. He is arrogant and never at rest. Soon the whole world will be taunting him.
3: Who do you think you are? Getting rich by stealing and extortion? How long do you think you can get away with this? Indeed, how long before your victims wake up, stand up, and make you the victim? Who do you think you are?
2: Recklessly grabbing and looting, living it up, acting like the king of the mountain, acting above it all, above trials and troubles? You've engineered the ruin of your own house.
1: In ruining others, you've ruined yourself. Who do you think you are? Inviting your neighbors to your drunken parties, giving them too much to drink, roping them into your sexual orgies? You thought you were having the time of your life. Wrong. It's a time of disgrace.
4: What's the use of a carved god so skillfully carved by its sculptor? What good is a fancy-cast god when all it tells is lies? Can they teach you about anything? There is nothing to them but surface. They hold no wisdom. The The Lord is in his holy temple. temple. Let all the the earth earth be silent before before him.
2: God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks. I'm on my knees.
1: Do among us as you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them.
3: And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy.
1: God is on his way again, retracing the old salvation route.
2: Skies are blazing with his splendor. The praise is sounding throughout the earth.
3: His brightness like the dawn, exploding, spreading, shooting like lightning from his hand. What power in that fist! He
1: stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble.
3: You came out to deliver
2: your people. You crushed the leader in the land of wickedness.
1: I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound.
3: Yet I will wait patiently. For the day of calamity to come on those invading us.
1: Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine.
2: Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food.
3: Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet yet I I will will rejoice rejoice in in the Lord,
1: Lord. I I will will be be joyful joyful in God my my Savior. Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength.
3: He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to climb higher and higher. Praise Praise be to our our God. God.
0: Part of what makes that scripture even more just powerful and fun is that we don't live in the old testament times we actually live in kind of this in-between time so whereas habakkuk was um, was very limited right the holy spirit wasn't necessarily among the people the way that that he is today Um, and he was crying out for a vision that he would see to come in the future As Christians in this day and age, in this in-between day and age, we actually have the Holy Spirit living inside us. We actually have power to see some of that injustice corrected today. And we have the hope of knowing that what we don't have the power or the authority or the ability to correct today will be corrected one day. That there is a day when what we're not strong enough to do, He will do. And we get that perspective, the in-between. We're there but not quite. And I just love that. I just, I love that. I love that book of Habakkuk, and that is such. Oh, I just need that in my life. I need to remember that there is a God who is so much bigger than than anything that I can see. Um. Somebody asked a question about turning points in my life. Asked Julie, they asked me, "When was the turning point in your life?" And I thought, "Who has just one?" (laughs) They happen all the time, right? Um, I've had many, and I'm going to briefly tell you about just a few of them. Um, This is a few glimpses into my faith journey. Um, I talked about my childhood a lot. I talked about the visions, the open visions I had as a teenager. Um, I talked about um, the wisdom passage and some of those things. Um, one of the thing, the reason that I've talked about that is because I just really want us to not lose the fact that our kids and our teenagers are perfectly capable of hearing from God. So much of the foundational stuff that happened in my life happened before the age of 18, and the experience in my life happened before then. One of the things that I'm not going to really go over it, but I stuck it in the PowerPoint in case anyone wants it later, is just kind of um, an image of what the what I used as my journal. Throughout high school and college, so I would literally write the scripture down, and then i 'd write out what does it mean? How does it apply to my life? What does God want me to do about this and then I would write out my prayer and that was that was how i did and i was i 've never been great with routine I just am not so i didn't I wasn't one of those every single day you get up early in the morning and da, da, da. no i didn 't I just you know uh, more often than not it was at night i 'm not God does not get my best in the morning. In the morning is when I check in and say, hey God, I'm yours. Okay, help me get out of bed. Um, And at at night is where I dig into scripture, right? So um, I would do that here and then. I'm glad I have a kindred spirit back there. Someone else does that. Um, I talked about prayer in the basement. Someone asked me, what is your favorite Holy Spirit moment? And quite honestly, and this surprised me because when I thought about it, I figured surely it would be a Blue Water moment because I've seen so many awesome things happen here at Blue Water, but I thought, no, it's not. It's actually when I was in college. And we did a lot of all-night prayer meetings when I was in high school and when I was in college. We, we did a lot of those for what, because we were young and could stay up all night. Um, but there was an excitement and an expectation that would happen with those. And I remember one of them, our youth leader um, one of our youth leaders, her son, was not following Jesus. He was um, he was he was using drugs pretty regularly. He was doing a lot of things that you know probably were not you know yay I'm consecrating my life to God, um, and was not was not really attending church. Didn't you know he only came when mom said you absolutely have to go. And so we started praying for him, and we spent 10, 15 minutes just stirring up prayer for this kid. Um, and just interceding for him and crying out for him. And we stopped and we sang a hymn. And I don't remember what hymn it was, but we sang a hymn and we heard the back doors open. And sure enough, there came Eric down the center aisle of the church. And he didn't stop and he didn't talk to anybody. He walked straight down the center of the church, fell on his face right before the altar of the church and just began weeping. And he said, I can't run anymore. Talk about like the hounds of heaven, like God going out where you are not and grabbing someone and dragging them to the foot of the cross. Like it was just, it was the, it was my favorite Holy Spirit moment because there was not there was not a person advocate that said something to Eric directly. Right there were it was it was a, a process of a group of people coming together and interceding, and then God did the work, as we did ours. God went and did the work, and I think that's what made that my favorite my favorite Holy Spirit moment. Um, Another one that that comes close that I did not talk about in first service, and I'll mention just briefly um, there was um, a a very close friend of mine. I met him in 1993. Um, He became my best friend. Um, He was very, very, very dear to me. Um, He was a Christian when I met him. By the time he passed in 2003, 10 years later, um, he was not walking with Jesus, um, at least to the best of my knowledge. Um, and he had throughout this transformation, I'll call him sexually confused because I'm not even sure what label he would have given himself by the time all of this was done. Um, and he, he, um, left the church, felt very condemned, left the church and joined a coven, um. So, and, and, and really gave into alcoholism. So my best friend for probably seven out of those 10 years was an alcoholic witch, which may surprise some of you. Um, and I loved him dearly. He, he was my soulmate, the other part of my heart. He's the one that always reminded me to read the red whenever I just couldn't get past something. I have breakdowns about once a week, for those of you who don't know. And he was just very faithfully say, read the red, read the red. Just open your Bible and read something red. Um. Well, after he passed, um, I had to help out with his funeral, and it was very interesting. Um, This side, all of the Christians navigated to, so all of the people who knew him when he was in ministry and all of the stuff he did with with God and the church, they all sat on this side. His coven all sat on this side. And the confused people from work just kind of milled around the back. Like there was just so much spiritual electricity in the room that they were just like, "What in the world's going on?" And um, I mean, we sat there, and it was just so divided. It was so divided to the point where we had anointed the doors, and there was the guy that was doing the invocation for the for the funeral actually would duck under where we had anointed. Like it was just the most spiritually charged atmosphere I've probably ever been in. Um, as far as just two worlds coming together. And at one point, I got up to pray. And it was, it was, it was not a pre-planned prayer. It was not a written-out prayer. Um, but about the point where I said something to the effect of, um, and while I don't know what's happening exactly with Jay right now, I do know that he's had the opportunity to finally encounter the father that he always wished he had and never did. wimpy little words, right? This entire side of the room broke down. Something in that room shifted and I saw the presence of God turn uh, this whole Wiccan side of the room to the point where when we were done, I had a line of people down the middle of the aisle, a line of witches saying, I have never heard a prayer like that. I've never encountered anything like that. And let me tell you, I'd had some spiritual warfare training through dreams and stuff like that, but this drove it home. People play with things that they don't understand. They play with spiritual things that they don't understand. But let me tell you something. When they encounter the presence of God, things change, and they know it, and it's different, and it's powerful. Yeah? Um, so that's my other favorite Holy Spirit moment. Um, I need to get, get through this stuff. Um. Another set of questions that came in talked about the dark night of the soul. And I wasn't sure how to answer these questions well. The questions were, how does one seek God in a desert? How can someone grieve in faith, someone who dies not a Christian? And how do we hear again after being forsaken? And the only way I know how to answer those questions is by just being honest with my own life. So I am going to read out of my journal um, this was the day after Jay's funeral. I was at his place um, going through his possessions. Um, there were, his family was not really family to him. We were getting ready to bring him back to Hawaii, um, his ashes back to Hawaii to bury. And, um, you know, Scott and I were the closest things to family that he had. And so it was our job to go through everything. And, um, I went through and I was just—I shocked at the difference of, of the Jay that I had first met and the Jay that 10 years later, after all of the pain and, and everything he'd walked through. Um, <laughs> he had told me two months before he died, he said, Jeannie, do you know what I miss? I said, what do you miss, Jay? What is it you miss? He said, I miss the personal relationship. I miss Jesus. And, and that has given me hope that in the months following that there may have been some conversations between Jay and God that I don't know about, but I don't know for sure that they happened. So when he passed, um, I did a picture of him with Hebrews 11.1. One, um, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. Um, and this is what I journaled. So in answer to these questions, This is all I've got. This is what my words were when I was at probably the darkest point as of yet in my life. Father, I do not have the strength to make it through this night alone. I need your strength, and I need your love. I'm a bit angry at the coven for drawing Jay into that junk, but I have to remember that he made the choice to be a part of this. I also have to remember that each of them are lost children that you desperately love and want back into the fold. I need your love to flow through me in a way that's unconditional and non-condemning. You are my only hope. I have never felt quite this lonely. I need the personal God I've spoken about so passionately. I need you. I'm really thrown for a loop without Jay. I understand that death is not final in the eternal perspective, but it's too final for the plans that I had. Where do I go from here? What do I hold on to and what do I let go of? What do I believe that is true and what's just tradition? I believe in you whoever you are. I believe in the creation story. I believe in inborn sin and the need for a redeemer. I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, is that redeemer. The rest, I'm not so sure of. How much is there that we cannot see? And then my inner nerd really comes out. I think that most of the world lives in the shire, like hobbits, blissfully unaware of the horrors going on beyond their borders. I'm not content to stay in the Shire. Although I'm afraid and feel very inadequate, I wish to follow in Frodo's footsteps. What a joy to meet elves, trolls, animated trees and wizards, to know the sorrow of losing those you loved and the awe of seeing one raised from the dead, and the joy of being a part, even a small part, of saving the world. To be a part of that elite group, the few who know how close to the end we had come. I pray for a new hope and vision. Without vision, the people will perish. How true that proverb brings through my heart and soul. The old vision has perished, and I am in great need of a new one. All I know in the dark night of the soul is that that's when we hold on to what we know that we know that we know when we cannot see, when we're not sure how in the world we're going to survive until morning light hits again, when we can't see the end, the things that we know that we know that we know, we can hold on to, and that's our foundation. Um, So that's my answer for those questions. Find something that you can know. Get to know your God, not just lip service, not just because you're a Christian, because that's the faith model you've decided makes the most sense for you, but to really know your God so that when all of your theology kind of goes out the window, there is a person that you have known and there is truth that you know about that person that you can hold on to even when your world is shaken and ready to fall apart. Um, Jordan gave us homework last week. He told us to come up with Proverbs. Well, the Proverbs I've learned throughout my life are not cute and sharp and witty like his are, but these are some of the pieces, the Proverbs that have come from my life. Unconditional love never gives up. It will fight through anything. Forgiveness is a necessity in life. To live without it is to live in a prison of our own making. When feeling lost, in doubt, or hopeless, pick up your Bible and read the Red. The words of Jesus are printed and read in many Bibles. And the next one also came from Jay. This is something he taught me when my parents were getting divorced. Um, The first time you take a drink to escape from your problems, it will set the stage for drink to become your only escape, pushing aside everything else that used to make you feel better. When nothing else works, fall to your knees and petition the creator of the universe. And God sees us all as we can be, not as we are. So even as God looks... Upon us today or walks among us today. He doesn't see where we are right now. I mean, he's, it's not like he's delusional. He understands where we are. But what he really sees is what we can be. And that's what I strive to see as well when I look at each of you. Not where you are, not the limitations that you have or the things that hold you back, but I strive to see you through God's eyes, to see who you really were created to be, and to see what you will look like when God's work is finished. Um, so I wanted to end our time, our very choppy time. Thank you so much for being so patient. Um, God woke me up early this morning and and said, it's a day of decision. And so I ended first service this way, and I'm going to end second service this way. Well, um, the worship team is going to come up here in a few minutes and, and get ready, and, and we'll end with more of a normal ministry time, but I feel like I need to be faithful um, to what God has asked me to do. And if I'm gonna ask you to be bold, then I need to be bold. So what I am gonna ask you here in a moment is if you are at that place of decision, whether that decision be actually choosing to build a relationship with God that's not just in words, whether that is um, choosing to trust God in an area where you have not trusted before, whether it's a decision to make that change that God's been talking to you about or to speak it, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And I know that that can feel embarrassing and intimidating, but the reason I'm asking you to stand is there is something about boldness. There's something about being willing to humble ourselves in front of one another and in front of God that brings power. And I just believe that at least for today, that God is saying that that boldness and standing is what will give that power to walk through whatever it is that comes next, to actually make the change, to make the decision that God's calling you to make. So as they set up here, with even before the music starts, um, I'm just gonna ask, if that's you, if God's been talking to you as I've been talking this morning, and there's a decision that you feel like it's time, it is time to make this decision, I invite you to stand up in boldness, and I'm going to just, I'm going to pray for those who stand, and we're going to, we're going to go out worshiping, but um, yeah, if you would, just right now, if that's you, and God's been talking to you, and there is a decision, stand up. And I just wanna, I wanna pray over you guys and I wanna bless you guys. And at the end, we'll have a prayer team that's over there and you guys can go get prayer from them and they will affirm things. But I also just as, as, a, as a body, I want us to come together and just move forward. Let's make those decisions. So Lord, we come before you in surrender and we say, I will, I will. I will go and I will do, I will take that step, I will trust. I will trust. In fact, I'm going to ask you guys that are standing, and even if some of you are standing in your heart but didn't stand up for real, but I'm going to ask especially those of you that are standing to just repeat after me. Jesus, today, I choose trust, and I choose movement. I have decided. Now show me the way. Lord, we just invite your presence to stir more than you already have. I would just speak prophetically into the lives of every person standing and I just say the obstacle's clear now in Jesus' name. It is time. It is time to step forward. It is time to step into that new destiny and you do it with the blessing of boldness. No, it's not always gonna be easy. That's silliness. Life is not easy but you will have what you need. You will have what you need. There is a path that is clearing right now for you to do what God has called you to do in this day of decision. And as we worship, I just, I bless that. And I invite, if you would like the rest of you to just stand with us as Jameson and Rolla lead us into before the throne of God.